come to church rather than be on Big White. Because I'm going to guess Big White is pretty beautiful today. And, uh, and a lot of our church does go. But here's, here's, what we, uh, here's what I do love about the South. Is that in the week, I don't know if it's out of guilt or out of encouragement. But I get lots of people going, we listen to you online. We were on the hill, but we listen to you online. So thank you if you're listening online. I'm looking straight at you in the camera. You're awesome and we love you. Uh, but you're especially awesome and you're especially loved because you came this morning. Happy New Year. Okay, good old dozen of you. <laughs> it's great to see you and I'm really, really happy that you, uh, you are here in the South this morning. If it's your first time, we give you a special welcome. We have, uh, we've got, we're back into Galatians today, which I'm very excited about. And we have these Galatian journals. By the way, these, these are, this is a chunk of change to buy these. And they're actually really hard to get hold of. And the reason I know these are really hard to get hold of is because I think Sarah managed to empty North America of all of them, because it took a lot of time to get as many as we needed. So if you would like one of these journals, then South Family, you can get one of these for 10 bucks, uh, or uh, I think, Wendy, you said a minimum of $10, minimum of $10. And, uh, uh, but if you are new here, if this is your first time, if you're coming back after a while and you fill out a Connect card so we can just let you know what's going on in the church, you'll get one of those journals for absolutely free. Thank you. It's like a quiz show. Love it. Um, we're going to watch the family news video in just a second and take in our offering. But this uh, Sunday, technically tomorrow, uh, I guess, is we're starting 21 days of prayer. It's something we've been doing for a few years now at Willow Park Church. We have a very high value on prayer. Uh, and we don't just pay lip service to that. So for 21 days in January each year, we focus on the importance of prayer, and we encourage you to pray for a myriad of different things. And so in order to kind of line up so we're all praying for the same thing each day, you can sign up for a, a devotional that will get emailed to you. If you go onto the website and you look for 21 days of prayer, then you can sign up right there and you can get, uh, you can get things to pray for and a little devotional that's written by Michelle Collins, Phil Collins' wife. She's a fantastic writer and she really has a, an interesting uh, way of being able to bring the scriptures alive. So uh, please sign up for that and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll send you that through. So that's our main focus for the month. And in line with that, this Thursday, Chris Robinson, who sat right there next to his wonderful wife, Pauline, he approached me a couple of weeks ago and said, look, I, f- I feel like the Lord is saying that I need to gather some guys together, the men together, to pray each week on Thursdays at the manly hour of 6.45 a.m. Yes. Because we've all been up for ages by then, praying and reading our Bibles. So you can finish off your devotional time by coming and joining Chris on this Thursday. It starts 6.45 in the church, possibly in the hub. We haven't really put down a place, um, but there's a little room just along the hallway there that's perfect for prayer. So this, Sunday, uh, this Thursday, guys, let's gather together and uh, maybe there'll be a start of something wonderful within, within the men, ministry-wise, in the church as well. So... That's coming up this Thursday. So thanks, Chris, for listening to the Lord on that and, uh, and taking that step. Okay, we're going to, uh, going to pray for our kids. And then we're going to uh, take in our offering, watch the family news video. So uh, kids, the secret tunnel is alive and glowing. So let me pray for you as you go. And uh, we pray for our offerings as well. Father, we thank you for your uh, church. Lord, we thank you for the vision that started this church all those years ago. And we're grateful for the way that, Lord, you have guided 
Will a part church to continually declare that Jesus Christ is Lord in the missionary of Kelowna? And so, Lord, that is our prayer this morning, that, that Lord, we'd hear from you, that, that, God, that we would be sensitive to your voice. Lord, we pray for our children right now. We're thankful, Lord, for every one of them. Lord, we pray for those that are here and those that are not. We pray, God, for our families, for marriages. God, we pray for the next few minutes as they're with the, the kids' team, that they would just hear good news of Jesus Christ even at their young age, Lord, that they would come into a relationship with you. Pray for our giving and our offering, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the generosity of this church, for the many things, Lord, that people sow into week in, week out. We're so grateful for that. And, Lord, we know that your word says that you will never be in debt to us. And so we're grateful, Lord, that we can give right now cheerfully and generously. In your name, Jesus, we love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, welcome team. And uh, I believe we're going to see the family news video. Pardon? We don't have a family news video. That's good. Read the bulletin and imagine our lovely Courtney is, is reading it to you. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Luke. Was that just an executive decision you just made right there? Or do we actually not have a family news video? Okay, there is none. Okay. That's good. So uh, let's turn while, uh, while the team are taking in the offering. Um, please turn to Galatians chapter 3. I don't know if you've noticed that my, my little pulpit keeps on going down. There's a reason for that. Sarah bought me a new Bible for Christmas, and it is hefty in weight. Um, and it's already pre-floppy, because you can tell the spiritual maturity of somebody by how floppy their Bible is. You know that, right? So those of you who are using iPads, Sorry. Um, Galatians chapter 3, we're continuing our study in Galatians and we will be getting to Galatians chapter 3 in just a second, Um, but uh, before we get there, let me give you some background as to why I'm going to be sharing what I'm sharing this morning, because this time of year is very much a time of reflection. It really is just a date, but it's a date where we're encouraged to think about what has been and what is to come, and it's been a busy period uh, pastorally. As you know, uh, we had a couple of our dear friends go to be with the Lord over Christmas, Christmas Eve. Peter Rigby, and I'm pointing that way because Peter sat right there. Peter Rigby uh, went to be with Jesus um, on Christmas Eve, and it was his funeral this last Thursday, and it was a joy to gather with friends and family and and just celebrate Peter and uh, and celebrate Jesus because that's what Peter would have wanted. And so uh, in prep- preparing for the funeral, you, you reflect, you think, and you consider. And, and then this Thursday, uh, is we have another funeral at the South at 10.30, and that's Teresa Shaver, who went to be with Jesus on Christmas Day, early, early Christmas Day. So as a church family, that creates, it's a jolt, it's, it's painful, it's, it's hard, we grieve. We love them both dearly, and uh, they've been part of the South family for a long time. Uh, and this Thursday, we get to celebrate Teresa's life at 10.30 in the morning. And so in the process of thinking through that time and, and this message and, and really seeking the Lord on it, and also on a personal level, trying to think, okay, well, what does this year look like for me? I'm going to be 47 in a couple of weeks' time, February 1st. You can write that down. I'll just pause. There's pens in the seat pockets in front of you. At least there should be. Um, I'm 47 in a couple of weeks' time, February 1st, and, and so I'm thinking, okay, 
Culture sends different messages to me as a 47-year-old than when I was 27 or 17. At 47, the message that the culture sends me is I need to be thinking about retirement. I need to be thinking about what does this next chapter look like? Am I preparing well? Do I have several million dollars in my bank account? Because that, after all, is how much it's going to cost me to live the life that I want to live post-retirement. That, that's the message. You need to think more and save more. Put more money away. Consider about what you're going to do when you get to retirement. That's the message that I hear from culture. And, and many of you are already in retirement kind of age, whatever that looks like now. Many of you are my kind of age, and you might be thinking about that. So many of you are younger, listening online, or are younger, and you're thinking, man, I, I'm just being told about career, or next steps, or getting married, or having a relationship. And, and so we have all these kind of cultural pressures on us as a, as, a, as a person, regardless of your stage, that this is what your next stage should look like. This is what you should be doing. This is what life should look like for you. And and it's not a danger. It's natural for us to lean into that and go, hmm, well, how, where does that leave me? So at 47, as I'm journaling, thinking, and praying through, this message was very, very pertinent. Because in uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful verse, and I'll be mentioning this in Teresa's uh, Celebration of Life on Thursday. And you might want to write this down. It's, it's an amazing verse for this time of year. Psalm 90, verse 12 says this, So, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. That's a prayer. God, teach me to be conscious about the number of days that I have. Because in that passage, you'll actually see that life is referred to as being very, very quick. And I have 35 minutes, roughly, maybe less, probably not, to encourage you to think about your life. To think about what is going on in your life now, what the next stage looks like, and how you're going to get there. And is that in alignment with the way that you have been designed, created, and called to get the very most out of life? That is what I want as a, as a, as a I guess, coming into, is, middle, is 47 middle-aged? Brad, are you middle-aged? Because you're older than me, so that means no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> so, so... At this stage, how do I get the most out of my life? Not what the culture says, not what's expected of me, not what the internet tells me, or a magazine, or somebody who's at a different stage of life. Not what they say, but what does my God, my creator say about my life and the stage that I'm at? Teach us to number our days. Consider it. And so in my, in my personal just time with the Lord I've been going through, I have a Bible reading plan and, uh, and I've been camped out now for a long time in First and Second Kings. And so I was reading through Second Kings. And those of you who study your Bibles, you'll know it's just a process of, and this king did evil in the sight of the God and, and built up the high places. More evil than anybody before him. So, oh gosh, would they ever learn, you know? And, and then this, and you go, oh, this king did good in the sight of God. Yes, this next king did evil. And it's, it's this roller coaster ride. There's one king in the middle of it, though, which is Hezekiah. And in 2 Kings 20, you can read about a particular time in his life of Hezekiah when the prophet comes to him and says, Hezekiah, you're going to die. This sickness you're feeling right now, you're going to die. And Hezekiah pleads with God, and you can read it in 2 Kings, to give him more time. 
Give me more time, Lord. I've lived well. I've served you. I honor you. I love you. Please, God. And you can read there that God answers Hezekiah and says, I've heard you. I am going to heal you. I've heard your prayer. And after three days, you're going to leave this place and you're going to have 15 more years. And then there's this amazing verse next to it, right next to it, where Isaiah goes, read it. And this is why I love the Bible, because it makes me laugh. The next verse says, Isaiah says, let's eat cake. Honestly, it says that. That's, that's the response. Great, 15 million years. Where's that cake? That just made me laugh. I've got nothing to preach on about that other than that just made me laugh. But just imagine for a second. And I'm not trying to be somber. I'm actually trying to fulfill this verse to just put this into practical. Imagine if somebody came to you and said... Here is the number of your days. But gave you a kind of a vague year. Not this day, because that would be scary. This is 15 more years is kind of ominous enough. But in your 15th year, Hezekiah, you will die. Glenn, 15 years from now, you are going to be dead. I'll be 62. Now, I'm not prophesying that. I'm believing for a long life. But I started to journal around what that would look like for me. Those next 15 years, next 15 months, next 15 days, next 15 minutes. What does that look like for me? Because that is what this scripture is teaching us to do. That's what it's teaching us to do. And so I started journaling. How can I practically put in this place? Is there ways that I can live the next 15 minutes well? The next 15 days. What do I want to do in the next 15 days? Which 15 work days is three weeks. What do I want to do in the next three weeks? What do I want to do in the next few? What is the Lord asking of me? What am I going to do? What am I going to not do? What am I going to change? What am I going to say? What am I not going to say? What am I going to let go of? What am I going to do differently? What am I going to focus on? What am I going to passionately chase after? Because I believe, friends, that is what this verse is calling us to do, to consider the number of our days that we might get wise, that we might smarten up. Because this culture tells me that the next 15 years are crucial to me because I'm going to be 62 because that is my time to prepare for retirement. Because, and listen to me, I'm saying this with a loving heart and not a critical heart. Just imagine this is me journaling because it did happen. My culture tells me this, that you should retire because you deserve it. You're entitled to it. Glenn, you should save your money and do really, really well in money because after all, you've got the more money you have, you more can give away, and that's true. And there's nothing wrong with anything that I'm about to say. But my culture tells me this, that the end of my life, the last period of my life should be filled with trips, with travel, with toys, with luxury transport, and with just taking it easy. That's what my culture tells me. That's what the culture tells you. I'm not telling you anything that you don't see every day of your life. And I looked at it and I went, there's nothing wrong with any of that, Lord. I know that. I'm not being critical of anybody. I'm really not. But is that teaching me to number my days? Is that me really fulfilling the greatness that I believe that God has placed in every one of us? 
That's the question I ask myself. In the middle of preparing funerals, in the middle of looking at this passage, is that what the Lord wants for me? Is that his ultimate aim, that I would kind of roll off my couch into heaven and he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You traveled well. You toyed well. You took it easy well. That is not what I was created to be. That is not what you were created to be. That is not what you were created to do. We were not created to make that our focus and that our worship. We're we're not. And it becomes incredibly practical because what it means is that I have to look at today with the view of, well, how do I live differently? How do I do the next 15 minutes, 15 days, 15 months, 15 years in such a way that I'm chasing after that which God has called me to be and do? Again, I want to stress that those things are not sinful unless we make them our gods. Did you hear me on that? Well, Pastor Glenn thinks traveling's bad. I didn't say that. We're going on holiday in a few weeks. Praise the Lord. I'm going to need it. <laughs> That's good. But if I make that my goal and focus and passion and listen to the lie of the culture that somehow I live life so that I can deserve that, that is not true. That, that is not what I was created for. We were created and saved for something greater, to make a difference. And we spend billions of dollars and hours to live longer To what end? To what end? What is it that God wants from us? What difference is he asking for us? Then it becomes the question of, okay, great. I I have a sense of what God's calling me to do and how I should give and how I should live. I could spend the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes giving you points as to here are the things you should do. I'm going to assume that we're all listening to our conscience, aware of our shape and design, know what we're good at, know what brings us life. So for some of you, bringing life is serving others. Some of you, bringing life is teaching. Some of you, it brings life doing, uh, to just do practical things, to pray, whatever it might be that God has called you to do. I'm believing that God has already communicated that to you in some way. I'm not teaching on that. So how do we get to the place where we make God and the calling he has given us our focus so that when we teach, when we learn to uh, number our days, we're fully focused. So in 2020, we are taking that step into the 15. Let's believe for 30, 45, 60. Next 60 years, I'm going to change it. I'm going to step into the next 60 years that I know that the steps I'm making, whether you are 14 or whether you are 94, makes no difference. If you woke up this morning, it's because you still have purpose and you've got a design and you have something great about you. What is it? What is that? Sarah and I went around uh, chapters. I was a bit shocked when I went around chapters because it's different. It looks really different. I mean, it was radically changed. And uh, I, asked, I asked one of the, uh, the people who were there, I said, so is this a new thing? And they looked at me like I was mad. Well, no, it's been like this almost two years. Like two years? Really? Somebody in Starbucks, so maybe they're not fully formed. I don't know. But it just shows you how long it's been since I've been in chapters. But we went into this one section, this whole section, probably half the size of this room. It's like a, a separate section. It's got wellness or something on the wall. Have you, how many of you have been in that section? You know what I'm talking about? 
It's filled with yoga mats and kind of, you know, all sorts of different things like healing, herbal healing salts for putting on your eggs, I'm guessing. Um, I don't know. Uh, and then you can, you can find tarot cards and, you know, and, and I'm like, in this wellness center, I'm like, Lord, when did this happen? When did this happen? This wellness center. And then I start looking at some of the books. It's really interesting. There's a lot of books there about Eastern mysticism. And, and then you start looking a little bit deeper. You're going to find books on spirituality. You're going to find books on touching the infinite. You're going to find books on prayer and mysticism. And here's what I'm doing. Because as a Christian, friends, we can stand in there and get super critical. And trust me, there's a lot to criticize. And I would thoroughly enjoy that. I'd be like, okay, bring it on. But you know what I actually thought? It shows that inside every one of us is this desire for greatness and for spirituality and empowerment. That people want to be empowered to live differently so, listen, they can make a difference. They want to be empowered. They know that going to church, it used to be you went to church just so you can get your moral code in, in line and, and you could just be a nice person because you're a church-going person. Now, people come to church because they want power. They want empowerment. They want prayer. And that's a good thing. And so that wellness center, although that in itself I think is incredibly misdirected at best, evil at worst in some aspects, that it's pointing to the fact that we're all wired to know that we can make a difference and we need to change, that we need empowerment, we need help in that. And so we come to Galatians 3 and we're going to hear from Paul how that happens. So let's just frame it and remind you where we're going. We're talking about the next 15, 30, 45, 60 years, however it might look like. How do we live our life well? How do we live our life in alignment with the design that God has given us? How do we change? How do we make a difference? Okay, so Galatians 3, we picked it up. We did the first two chapters in the, in the fall. We're moving through the next two chapters before Easter. And then after Easter, we're going to do the final two chapters, five, uh, chapter 5 and 6. So we're starting this new section. And what a great way to start. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. It, it actually means, it's actually quite gentle what Paul is doing here. He's saying, oh, you dear idiot. You dear, dear bunch of idiots. That's what he's basically saying. It's like a father's heart. What are you doing? What are you chasing after? Put it in our context. Why are you chasing after the toys and the travel and the, and the, the time? Is that what your world is about? Is that really? Oh, you're missing it. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who's changed your thinking? Who's literally changed your focus and direction? That's what it means. Why have you all put in your eyes on something that is foolish? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by, by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's a pretty meaty passage. 
What's it got to do with me today, 2020, looking at the next 15, 30, you get it, years? How does that actually affect the difference that I want to bring about in my world? And how does it affect whether or not I'm aligned with it? Because that's what that first statement is about. Who has bewitched you? Let's church in 2020. Let's be really shrewd about what's bewitching us and drawing us away from what we were created and designed to be. There are authors under the Christian banner that are bewitching and drawing you away and putting your mind on things that are not even gospel. It's very subtle. You need to be very careful. You need to be really, really shrewd. Don't be drawn away. And so what I'm going to do over the next few minutes is we're just going to pull this passage apart pretty quickly because there's a lot here. So we're going to do it very, very quickly. And we're going to start with this first verse. Let me ask you only this. I've got one question Paul is saying. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So what he's doing is he's building up an argument. He's like, okay, I want to get here, but let's just start over here. So let me ask you a question. It's a good preacher. Let me ask you this question. Did, where did it all start? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Notice, first of all, that the Spirit has a capital S. The Spirit is God Himself. The Spirit is God Himself. Did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive God, is what He's saying. So, you've got to remember, Christian friends, who you are and who you have in you. So Paul is saying, have you been bewitched? But you've got to remember who is inside of you. you. The Spirit is God. You received the Spirit. Remember those words. Let me go back just so you can remind. That you received the Spirit. You've received God. That God has come into your life. Thereby implying, friends, that maybe some of you have not received the Spirit of God. That you may think you have, but you haven't. That you aren't actually a Christian yet. So we'll come to that in a second. But God himself is living in you. The the magnitude of this truth is impossible for me to convey with clarity and with with the, the, uh, with the power that it needs. In the Old Testament, when the Spirit of God came into the temple, you could not stand in His presence. It filled the temple. At that time, the high priest was the only one allowed in the Holy of Holies. They would tie a rope around him so that if he died in the presence of God, they could pull him out. Because when the Spirit of God, God himself said, I cannot show you my glory because it will kill you. And so we sing, Lord, show me your glory. No, 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 no. Let's not see God's glory because remember the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's with me. I, I don't want that. Because if Jesus comes into the room, we're not going to be dancing and celebrating. We are going to be hitting the ground hard because you're going to think that you are going to die. That's the presence of God in reality. And the Bible is filled with examples of that. And then through Jesus, we're reminded that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What Paul is saying, so what Peter is saying here is, look, Christian friends, if you're a Christian, you have received the presence and the power and the glory of God in you, and everything that pertains to life and godliness is yours. So when you go into the room, it's you plus the Spirit of God in you. Why would we waste that in our retirement? 
Why would we waste that chasing after things, being bewitched by things from the culture? Why would we waste the living reality of God living in you by taking it to things because we feel like we're entitled and deserve to leisure? Why would we waste that? This is God himself, Christian friends, living in you. Go into those places. Go travel. Go do these things. Wonderful. But be reminded that when you go, you go with the power and the presence of the living God and all that pertains to life and godliness is living in you and he goes with you and you do so for a purpose. And that purpose, listen, does not terminate on your own satisfaction and leisure. That purpose terminates on his calling for you in that place. Amen? Our culture says... It's all about you, Glenn. Love yourself. Be good to yourself. Look after yourself. You're the main one, my friend. And God says, no, no, no. Actually, I called you to something far more beautiful, ultimate, and bigger than that. Because I don't know if I've got 15 years, 15 minutes, 15 months. I don't know. And I've done enough funerals to know that you don't know either. So that's not allow the spirit of the living God just to terminate on ourselves, on our own goals, on our own focus, on our own. Because friends, if we could turn our mind towards this as a church, buckle up, Kelowna. Because if even when 15 people came here this morning, that would be enough. That would be enough. Because a small handful of people turned the world upside down. In the New Testament, I know that it's the same God now as he was then. So the Spirit of God lives in you. The power to be different, the power to make a difference in your next 15 is in you. Do you know that? Secondly, so we've got the Spirit and we've got the start of your faith. Look at this verse. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfectly, uh, sorry, are you being perfected by the flesh. One of the things that I think is desperately sad about the culture is for younger people. Because because of the power of influencers, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine. But because of the power of influencers on the net, you're actually sold an even weaker, dumbed-down vision of your life. That it's not even about doing great things that terminate on you, but it just becomes about what you look like and who you hang out with and how hard you party and whether you're in, whether you believe the right thing and say the right thing or hold the right placard up. You are filled with greatness. If you believe in Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit of God himself. So Paul is saying, where did this start? And this is where it gets a little challenging for some and incredibly encouraging for most. Your Christian life hasn't begun unless you have received the Spirit. So believing, going to church, obeying, being a good person, all that is great and and wonderful and, and we're glad you're here. We've always wanted to be a church where you can feel like you belong. Even if you don't believe, come, belong, and, and we're praying that you'll believe, and, and that would be wonderful. But it, you, by being a good person doesn't make you a Christian. Paul is making it really clear here that in order for you to be a Christian, look, having begun by the Spirit, 
there was a point, Christian friend, where you were not a Christian and you got transformed by the Spirit of God. You were regenerated and you were changed and you are now a Christian. For some of you, it looked different. For some of you, it was a hand in a service. Others, it was years. Others of you, it was a long time. God is creative and he can save people in any way he wants. But the time did come where there was transformation. Different. It's not enough to say, I believe or I go to church. You can only re- you know you've received the Holy Spirit because you've experienced the love of God impact and transform you and change you. There was a day when you weren't and there was a day when you are and you feel His presence in you. You feel His presence in you. So the Spirit of God always makes a difference in your life so that you can make a difference in other people's lives and in, in your world. So the next question is, Has that happened to you? Christian friends, are you aware of the Spirit of God and who He is in you? For those of you who may not be there yet, has that been the place? where Has there been a time and a place where you know that you got radically changed by Jesus? Because what Paul does is he continues to tend to tell us the story of change. Look what he says here. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, who before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And I know we're jumping around here, but that's what Paul is doing in his thinking. This is a really interesting statement here, because if you remember, the Galatian church is actually in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It's a long way from where Jesus was actually crucified. So what did Paul mean when he said, before your eyes, Jesus was publicly crucified? Because actually, reality was, it wasn't before their eyes. They weren't there. What they actually had was Paul coming and telling them, the story of Jesus Christ being publicly crucified. And that was enough. Because something happens when you hear the story of Jesus Christ. This word portrayed literally means it's a graphical portrayal. It's like if I wanted to do a big piece of artwork to portray something, then you would look at that whole thing and go, wow, I, I get it. I get the story. I get what you're trying to portray graphically illustrate. So Paul comes with the story, and the story is so graphically portrayed with the Spirit of God at work that people have been radically changed to the point where they can go, yeah, I do remember having it before my eyes. Because in Ephesians 1, Paul refers to this. He says, the eyes of your heart are enlightened. He's praying that we would be enlightened, that the eyes, that we could see and believe the story. The story that you are loved. The story that you've been created. You're not an accident. The story that God loves you, knows you intimately. The story that God knows you so intimately and you are so loved that he also knows the stuff, the shame, the guilt, the sin that is in your life. He also knows, because you are so loved, he knows the story that that has created separation between you and him, that He cannot live in you because sin is in you. The story of Jesus Christ, the gift, coming to earth and living a life so perfect that he is able to be smashed onto a cross, that he would take the punishment that you and I truly deserve. And by taking that punishment, God's wrath, God's justice dies with Jesus and my sin and shame with it. The story of Jesus, three days later, rising from the dead, having kicked 
the devil and all his schemes and the victory that reigns in Jesus now, the righteousness of Jesus placed upon my life and placed upon your life, Christian friend, the story of new life, new creation, that from that moment, from that second, that my eyes were enlightened to the story that the Spirit of God himself came to live in me and change me forever and set me on a different course, not a course of early retirement as per Kelowna culture, but a course of calling to which I have been called, a call to then be a messenger of the story, a story that I take into the world and by my life and by my words, I share with other people and by the Spirit of God living in me that I am empowered to be able to speak truth into people's lives and walk away confident that it's not me who saves them, but it is God who saves them. Confident that all I have to do is be faithful to the call to speak and to share and to do and to chase after the calling that God has given me. And my calling is to make a difference. That's the story that I have been called to. Why waste that? on trinkets and toys and taking it easy. Sometimes I get asked, when when do you think you'll retire as a pastor? Never. Now, does that mean that I'm going to be like, I hope so, but probably not. I'll be preaching this gospel into my dying breath. I'm hoping that I'll be able to grab hold of a nurse when 